All right, well, we are uh, halfway through our series on the life of Jacob. And today we're gonna look at another formative moment in Jacob's life. It's truly one of his defining moments. Not so much because of what, what he does, He doesn't get in trouble and do all these shady things like our previous two messages, Uh, but we're gonna see what the Lord does in his life. And Jacob is going to start to pivot and turn and truly live a Godward life. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 to 22. Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 to 22. It's gonna also go up on the screen. May God bless the reading of his word. Jacob left Beersheba, And went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! There is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was loose at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I, might, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Amen. The reading of God's word. Church, have you ever been in a situation where you were feeling lonely, afraid, and uncertain? When things were not working out the way you planned, and you wondered if God was truly with you? Well, Jacob was having one of these moments in Genesis chapter 28. He's just stolen his brother's blessing and he is literally running for his life because his brother Esau, the great hunter, has vowed to kill him. And his parents have sent him away to a land called Haran, hundreds of miles away from his home. And he's all alone. Jacob has no friends, no family, no servants. And it it looks like no future. Haran is the place Abraham was when God called him to the promised land. God called Abraham out of Haran in Genesis 12. But ironically, Jacob is forced to leave the promised land and now go back to Haran. So as you can imagine, things are not going as planned for Jacob. He thought he was going to be the heir of his father's household. Though he was the younger brother, the Lord had given his mother a prophecy that he would be greater, stronger than his older brother. He had cheated his brother out of his birthright in exchange for a bowl of stew. And in Genesis chapter 27, he had received the blessing of his father, though stolen by impersonating his brother Esau. 
Jacob thought he was going to be the one to continue the line of his grandfather, Abraham, to inherit the household and the riches and the glory of his father, Isaac. But now all of those plans seem to be derailing. They all seem to be in jeopardy. But today, our passage, it's an amazing story of grace. And this story is a beautiful blueprint of how God deals not only with Jacob, but as us as well, of how God initiates grace in our lives and how he promises to lead us to respond with worship and devotion. So as we unpack the story of Jacob's dream, we're gonna look at two things. First, we're gonna see God's promises of covenant grace to Jacob. We just wanna look at what, what promises, what, what blessings does God give Jacob here in Genesis 28? And second, we're gonna look at Jacob's response his vows, his own promises to the Lord. So first the promises and second the vows. Well, if you follow the trajectory of Jacob's life and read the first verses in our passage, it is clear that Jacob is not like David, who was a man after God's own heart. That's not Jacob. That's not Jacob at all. Jacob wasn't a man looking for God. He wasn't on a pilgrimage pursuing God. He wasn't desiring or wanting to know more of God. In fact, we haven't seen Jacob do a single righteous thing yet in Genesis. Jacob's a liar. He's a cheat. He's a deceiver. And he's even a blasphemer who used the Lord's name in vain to help get away with his lie that he wasn't Jacob, but he was Esau, his older brother. He says, yes, the Lord, your God, as surely as he is, I am Esau, right? So he even blasphemes the first, you know, that's crazy. And so here he is running for his life, just trying to survive. And he's tired from his journey. And so he comes to a place that seems completely random to him. It's just the end of the day, the sun has set. So the scripture is like a place, a place, this place. And so he's like, and he's at this place and he lays his head on a stone and he falls asleep. Little did he know that that place was actually where Abraham met the Lord in Genesis 12. And while he was sleeping, the Lord came to Jacob in a dream. Did you guys know that here in Genesis 20, this is the first dream narrative in the Old Testament, right? If you think of dreams, you know, it seems so important, so prominent, and yet this is the first dream narrative in the Old Testament. Now we have to ask why? Why did God come to Jacob in a dream? Because God went directly to Abraham and Isaac, but why in a, in a dream while he's sleeping? Here's the answer. Because it highlights the passivity of Jacob, that Jacob was literally doing the minimal possible effort. He was just heart beating, breathing, and sleeping, and he meets God. It highlights the fact that Jacob was not seeking, he's sleeping. You can't get more passive than that. He's not crying out to God. He's not fasting. He's not looking to the heavens for help. He has yet to repent of any of his sins. He knows what he did was wrong, but he hasn't confessed those things to the Lord. His head is on a rock and his eyes are closed. And Jacob's passivity is both physical in slum slumber, but also spiritual in indifference to God. But it is the Lord who comes to Jacob. The Lord speaks first and he reminds us that our God is a God who initiates a relationship of grace with us. So even before you and I start seeking God, the gospel tells us that God is already pursuing us. Okay? That's what it means for God to love us first. That's what it means for God to pursue us and initiate grace with us. We're not even looking for him. We're not even longing or desiring him, but he is looking for us. 
and he is pursuing us. And in this dream, Jacob sees a magnificent vision. He sees a ladder and it's actually better translated as stairway to heaven. Some of the 70s kids are like, oh yeah, Led Zeppelin, right? It's a stairway that reaches to the heavens with God standing above it. And angels are ascending and descending from heaven to earth along this stairway, carrying out the will of the Lord. And then Jacob hears the Lord speak. Now, if you are in sin and if you are in rebellion and you're running for your life and you meet God, what's the first thing you expect him to say? Words of judgment, right? Words of rebuke and reproach. That's what we would expect. I mean, the moment your parents catch you in trouble, those words are not like, oh, I love you. I'm gonna bless you. It's like, where have you been? What have you been doing? How could you do this? And I'm sure that's what Jacob expected from God when the Lord opened his mouth to speak. But instead of a curse, instead of a, instead of a rebuke, God comes to Jacob with words of promise and grace. Church, what love is this? Verses 13 to 15, they are the centerpiece of our passage. So I just want to read them again so we could hear with more of a context, more of a backstory, God's words, his first words to Jacob. And behold, the Lord stood above it, that stairway, that ladder, and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Amen. Church, whenever you read the word LORD in all caps, that's an indication that the covenant name of God, Yahweh, is being used in the Hebrew. And God is reminding Jacob that he is Yahweh, the God of his father, Isaac, the God of his grandfather, Abraham. And here in this blessing, here in this encounter, God promises Jacob four things, four things. First, to one day give him land. He's like, that land you're laying on, that, that, that stone your head is on right now, one day I will give this to you. Second, he promises to give him great offspring. Third, he promises to bless him and bless the nations through him. And finally, God promises his protection and his presence. If it sounds familiar, it should. This is a reiteration of God's covenant promise to Abraham. It's a confirmation to Jacob that when he's doubting whether or not, man, am I gonna be the firstborn? Am I going to carry on the line of, of my father and my grandfather? God is saying, yes. Yes, you're all alone in the desert. Yes, you have no family, you have no land, you don't know where you're gonna get your next meal, you don't know, you don't know what your future is gonna look like. Well, God is telling Jacob, I know your future. I am guiding you, I promise you will carry on this covenant blessing I made with your grandfather, Abraham. Church, these promises are immense. For at the time, Jacob has no land. He has no wife, he has no children, he has no apparent blessing. And he's on a 400 mile journey completely alone. One commentator writes the following. God's promises here are pure grace. Jacob has messed up his life with ambition, deceit, and blasphemy. Jacob deserves God's curse, but instead God comes to him with wonderful promises. Go back and look at it. There are no conditions. 
There are no stipulations. God doesn't even give him any commands. It's pure grace. And when Jacob wakes up, he is changed. He has received this grace. And the first thing he does is worship. Now, church, what does this mean for us? I'll tell you one thing it doesn't mean, okay? What does it mean for us? Well, it doesn't mean that God is telling us to go out and start sleeping on rocks, to receive the divine blessing of God, to, to receive a vision and a dream. So the answer is don't go, don't go into the desert and sleep on a rock, okay? Neither, nor is it an invitation to keep hitting that snooze button, thinking if I just keep sleeping, God's gonna eventually give me like a divine dream, right? So it's not that college students get away from the snooze button. But here's the point. You and I, we've messed up our lives just like Jacob. Okay. We're all filled with self-serving ambition. We all try to lie to protect ourselves, to get ahead in life. You see, I think a lot of us loathe the character Jacob because he commits so many sins. And yet when we realize, man, Jacob is just like us, we can actually grow to love Jacob more because we see God's grace abounding more in this chief sinner. You see, just like Jacob, we deserve God's curse. But grace is unmerited favor. Grace is a gift. And today God is reminding us that he loves us, he loves you, and he is initiating a relationship with you before you even start seeking him. God is the great hound of heaven who went after Jacob. And today I believe he's pursuing us. The second thing I want us to take away from this passage is to be able to see Jesus Christ and the gospel in it. Now in the gospel of John, when Jesus is calling his disciples, Jesus meets a man named Nathanael. And he is amazed because Jesus pulls that like, I know all about you. I saw you under the fig tree. And so Nathanael had one of these amazing moments where Jesus just starts just speaking into his life. And Nathanael is like, who is this guy? This is amazing. I've never seen or heard anyone like this. And this is how Jesus responds in John chapter one, verses 50 to 51. Jesus says, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Jesus here is clearly referring to Jacob's dream. And he's declaring that this word has been fulfilled in him. However, go back and look at Jesus's words. There's something missing. The ladder is missing. The stairway is missing. He doesn't make any reference to it, but why? And the answer is this, because Jesus himself is the stairway. Jesus is the bridge between heaven and earth. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. And this is why Jesus tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one goes to the Father except through him. Church, this is the gospel message for us today, that in the midst of your sin, in the midst of my sin, Jesus comes to us and he offers himself as the stairway to heaven. Church, you wanna, you wanna know God? You wanna receive this kind of covenant blessing, this peace, this assurance that God will never leave you. He will not forsake you. He will always protect you and keep you. You wanna get that kind of blessing? Jesus says, I am the stairway. Only through me will you receive this kind of love and blessing. Jesus offers himself as the curse bearer for your sins. Jesus, Jesus offers himself to you as the presence and protection of God. Now let's close with a reflection on Jacob's response and his vows to the Lord. 
Now, when we read Jacob's vows, it may make us a little uncomfortable because it seems that God is, or Jacob is offering a conditional allegiance to God, right? Go back and read it. It seems like Jacob is bargaining with God here, telling him, God, if you bless me, if you give me land, if you, if you give me bread, keep me from going hungry and, and let me return here, you know, if you provide for me, for me, then here's what I'll do for you. I'll devote myself to you. I'll worship you. You can be my God if you bless me and I will give you a 10th of all of my possessions. And so when we hear that, when we read that, it seems a little selfish, self-serving, right? As if he's bartering with God and it just seems completely inappropriate. But a cynical reading of Jacob is unnecessary and it's actually unwarranted. This is actually an appropriate response from Jacob for it actually reflects faith and dependence on God to fulfill his promises. One commentator wrote, vows were not made to induce God to do something he was not willing to do. They were made to bind the worshiper to the performance and guarantee of God. You see, go back and read what Jacob says. He didn't add his own language. He didn't add his own conditions or stipulations. All he does is say, God, everything that you promised me, make it so, guarantee it, make it happen, Lord. He simply reiterates God's promises to him. And he asks for God to be faithful to his word. Church, that is faith. That is faith. Because God makes promises to you and I. And he calls us to cling to those promises. Not promises that you and I invent for ourselves or our families or our futures, but to truly know what are the promises that God makes to you and to take hold of those and to cling to them. Did you know the Westminster Confession actually has an entire section on oaths and vows, divine oaths and vows. And so we just saw Pastor David. He made vows to the Lord and we made vows to the Lord in response to pray for him and to receive him as our pastor. You see, church, many people hold this simplistic and naive thought that we should give God our unconditional allegiance and trust, right? If someone said that in a small group, you say, yeah, that sounds good. God wants us to trust him unconditionally and give him unconditional allegiance that no matter what, we should trust him. And that sounds bold and radical, but that's not what he asks of you. That's not what he asks of us. God gives us reasons to trust. He gives us a basis for faith. And there are three things to that basis of faith. He's saying, know who he is, know what he's promised and know what he's done. Who is God, what has he promised, and what, he has do- what has he done? Those three things serve as the basis for our faith, the basis for our trust. You see, even Paul says, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, we're all fools, okay? God's not saying, hey, even if Jesus wasn't real, or even if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you should still come to church and give a tithe and worship and, and, and devote your allegiance. God, God, God doesn't demand that. Where we go wrong is when we misappropriate God's promises with a short-sighted situation. We understand God promises to protect us, but we think that he's failed us if we get sick. We think he's failed us if we lose our job. We think he's failed us if we lose somebody we love. Church, that is not a sign of God failing you or failing to protect you. God's protection is far greater than protection from cancer or unemployment. God protects us from sin. God protects us and delivers us from the evil one. 
God doesn't promise that we'll all get married and have children, but he does promise that if we believe in the gospel, that we will become sons and daughters of God. Think about that. How many of you college, singles and, uh, college students and singles expect to one day get married, meet that perfect person, have a bunch of kids and live happily ever after? You know, God doesn't promise you that at all. If you don't get it, has God failed you? Has he turned his face away from you? No. You know what his promise is? Is that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you can enter into his divine family, that you can become a son and a daughter of God. And that is guaranteed. The true promises of God, they are eternal and incorruptible. But our short-sighted earthly expectations, those are not. Church, we must learn to discern between the two. The word of God declares that all the promises of God are yes and amen. Let us respond to him with worship and faith, with both our hearts and the works of our hands, for he alone is worthy. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this amazing story where we see that you initiate love and grace and relationship in the life of Jacob and you do the same for us in Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to be that ladder, that mediator, that bridge between heaven and earth because God, that is a chasm we cannot overcome in and of ourselves, but we thank you that we have Jesus. Would you help us to hear see, and trust in Christ more and more. Lord, I pray for any of my brothers and sisters here who are struggling with sin. God, would you speak your words of life and grace? Acceptance, not of those sins, not tolerance of a wayward and deceptive life, but God, would they know that you accept them that you sent Jesus Christ to die for them and purchase them and deliver them from those sins. So God, we pray that as we reflect upon and accept the gospel, God, that you would make us holy, obedient, and worshipful people. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray.